today, and welcome to the latest podcast recording of DBSG, Discipleship Bible Study Group. You're here with Brother Rob and Brother Fred. Hey, Brother Fred. Hey, hello out there, everyone. Hello, hello, hello again. And we're coming to you with a very interesting topic. As a, This time is a reflection of how we as Christians should conduct ourselves. Sometimes it's good to reflect on some of the characters in the Bible that we come across to analyze ourselves and the word in general. So today we're going to talk about Saul, one of the worst characters from the Bible as he started out, and see how we can look at his transformation as a way to inspire us as Christians today. And Brother Fred, why don't you uh, expound on Paul for, Saul for us? And give us a little background on him for those who may have forgotten about this unforgettable guy. <laughs> Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And uh, we were just talking before we started the, po- the podcast, uh, Brother Rob. And, you know, I had mentioned that uh, Saul was a bad guy, bad guy. I mean, this, this, this guy yeah. was a piece of work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, what's so interesting about Saul is what you mostly hear about him is everything he did after he became the Apostle Paul, which, of course, is the most important thing. But what we want to discuss is tonight the psychology of what made Saul Saul. Why did he do what he did? Why did he persecute Christians? And how does that relate to what we're doing today? Because there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the world today. Uh, not not just to the church, but to just people in general. Uh, we're seeing it across definitely. the board. Uh, definitely, yeah. And I think people can look and look at themselves and say, you know, well, I haven't done half what Paul, you know, what Saul has done. So, uh, you know, wherever you think you are as a Christian or a future Christian, or you know, one who's considering giving yourself over to the Lord, whatever you have done that you feel you may not be worthy of a transformation as a Christian. Uh, the story of Saul tells us otherwise. So the apostle, the apostle, <laughs> Saul of Tarsus was, uh, had a dual citizenship. He's, he's, he's born of Jew, uh, being a Jew. Uh, I can't remember. I think his mother was probably uh, Roman, but he, in any event, he had dual citizenship. Uh, he was one of few who had that distinct honor. But something happened to this guy along the way. He was a highly intelligent young fellow, very boisterous, very outspoken. And I'm sure a lot of us know a lot about those types. Uh, You know, to be a believer, to be a Christian, to be out here doing what we do, we got to be bold and boisterous too. But uh, Saul of Tarsus was batting for the other side, as they say at the time, because what he was doing, and from what I've read up on, uh, Saul of Tarsus. He wasn't doing this himself, but he was hanging around with some people who were uh, bringing in modern uh, modern day Christians at the time or early Christians, and they were being persecuted, beaten, and then um, hung or staked to a cross. Uh, most of the time, they were crucified because, the, you know, crucifixion to the Romans was the utmost ugliest thing you could do it to a human being they didn't talk about it that much it wasn't something they were very proud of 
Um, so they didn't mind doing it to the early Christians. And Saul was like a, I guess you could call him a uh, bounty hunter, if you will, who went out with other Roman soldiers and they brought back, you know, as many uh, early day Christians as they could to be uh, killed. And that is horrible, 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 horrible. But the most interesting thing is what happened to him when he was leaving Jerusalem on his way to Damascus to do more of what we just mentioned. But before uh, I go into that, I want to mention that um, Saul was actually there for the um, for Stephen's stoning. Stephen was a young child, probably early teens, um, who was stoned to death for his belief and faith in Jesus. And if you know anything about stonings back then, I know everybody says, oh, well, how can stoning be that bad? Well, we're not talking about the little tiny pebbles you find in your yard today that occasionally get thrown out by your lawnmower and break out your neighbor's window. We're talking about they would put you, push you down into a pit, a lower level where you couldn't crawl out or climb out. And they would either kick, push over with their foot, or if they could lift them, stones that were probably more than 50 pounds each or more. And they kept doing that until they eventually killed you. So I'm going to assume that stoning never lasted that long because I can't see a mob hanging out there for 12 hours watching you dodge. <laughs> you know, boulders and stone, big rocks and stuff. It probably something that happened very quickly. It was a very cold, calculating death. And from what I've learned, the apostle Saul, or apostle, see, I keep saying apostle because all that stands out to me is what Paul did when he became Paul. Hallelujah. But Saul of Tarsus was there for the stoning of Stephen, even though he didn't do any of it himself. So he wasn't the type of guy, he was probably more of an aristocratic type of guy. He wasn't the type of guy who probably liked to get his hands dirty that much unless he had to. But, uh, you know, history sort of paints him as being still an adventurous, tough guy. And on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus, he was, and there's different accounts as to exactly what happened to him. One account states, he was struck off his mule and his mule turned and started talking to him. And of course that was Jesus talking to the mule. Saul, 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 why are you, why do thou persecute me? Uh, another account says he saw a blinding light and that blinding light was Jesus asking him the same thing. But in any event, he became blind. And um, three days later, and what's that? Ananias restored his sight. And in that three day time period, Saul became Paul, the Apostle Paul. Not only was he a believer, this guy in three days got the Holy Ghost of Jesus inside of him. In three days. I know people who could do that in three years because they didn't have the they don't have the faith. They don't want to give up give everything to Jesus. They didn't want to submit to the will of God, but he did it in three days plus commercials. 
are you going blind or having a bouncy talk to you? <laughs> I, you know, I guess that's kind clear. of pushing. Yeah, I guess that's. <laughs> I, don't think you, I don't think you need three years to figure that one out. I don't I think you need three you minutes, know. really. Yeah, that is true. Uh, that has to be catastrophic to see Jesus Himself ascend this big booming voice and you know i've always enjoyed the movies growing up as a kid where you know god was speaking to moses moses i'm going to give you the ten commandments and you know and i can only imagine the experience uh what saul saw first until he was blinded firsthand and then to lose your sight there's one thing to see jesus to hear from jesus then lose your sight and he didn't know if he was ever going to get it back. But what's interesting is Ananias was able to heal him, but he was able to heal him because Paul was, I did it again, uh, listeners, Saul had already made that transformation in his heart. He had already asked, begged for forgiveness in those three days. He was a true believer. He really loved the Lord. He turned 180 degrees and ran, ran, sprinted, flew in the other direction. And, okay, one of the questions you may ask, why does it take, and this is, this is one of the things that the DBSG does well. We have the Bible, and we preach the word of God from the Bible. This is a Bible-based program. So, listener, if you're not into the Bible, this is probably not the right show for you. But we still hope that you sit around because we always make some interesting references using science and psychology to show you that what's in the Bible is true, relevant, real, right on time, the word of God, the gospel truth. Amen. So why does it take... Why did it take, I'm going to ask a question. I'm, I'm going to see what, what you think about this, uh, Brother Rob. Why did it take Jesus ascending down, personally talking to Saul himself, and making him go blind to wake up Saul? Well, he definitely knew who he was dealing with. You know, he was dealing with someone who was had no faith. And... The only thing he had faith in is what he could see in front of him and what he can experience. And, you know, sometimes God reaches you at your level, you know, if he wants to reach you or use you. So he definitely, definitely knew how to reach Saul, you know, and when to reach Saul too. Because I wonder if the timing of him reaching Saul was also something that was important to Saul's transformation. Well, we, we've discussed in previous podcasts that God has never learned anything. He's always right on time. He's never late. So 100%, uh, Brother Rob, absolutely. <laughs> that was the perfect time for God to reach out and start the transformation of Saul into Paul because he already knew future state, what Paul was going to do, what he was capable of doing. He just needed a big push, and boy, was that a push. And you're, you're absolutely right. The push we get from Jesus sometimes matches the amount of ignorance that you've delved into. Saul was that lost. He was so lost that Jesus knew the only way 
to make him come around. He had to really hurt him bad, as they say. And he did, he did exactly that. Amen. I'm glad as a believer in God, when somebody came to me and they were witnessing to me many, many years ago, that I didn't have to get slapped in the face by God, blinded, and then three days later have my eyesight restored for me to go, hallelujah, <laughs> Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point uh, you brought up, Brother Rob. And I feel we have a world full of Saul of Tarsus today. Look at what's Definitely. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Look at what's going on in our country. Look at what's going on in other countries. Uh, we, we live in the U.S. of A. Our brother Rob lives in New Jersey. I live in New York. Look at what has happened, transpired in this world in the last 20 years. And I, I, realistically, I only need to go back one year, one month. But in the last 20 years. One hour. <laughs> <laughs> one hour. <laughs> yes, one hour. Every day. You turn on the news. I, I remember when I was a kid growing up in Ohio, um, they had made a movie. I was born in 1965. They made a movie when I was a kid about the Kent State murders. That was one of mm -hmm. the first mass murders other than what has happened to, uh, you know, the Jews, which was absolutely horrible, and to African-Americans as slaves and, and other countries what they've done as far as committing genocide and atrocities uh to so just speaking of uh, mass shootings here in america right right the kent state mm -hmm. yep. and they made a movie out of that and i remember watching that as a kid and it galvanized me to the screen i was like wow people actually do stuff like this and it was unheard of to have something of that magnitude occur and it's I, I couldn't believe it now i don't know what th these statistics are but a lot <laughs> yeah we we it's average two or three a month if not more no no it's, it's all on an almost daily basis now i think last month there was something like 37 shootings in like 29 days it was something crazy like that wow i mean like you know well the mass shooting i think is technically four people involved i believe so there's some mass shootings that we kind of, we don't really hear a lot about in the news because they're they could be small, they could be family related. Uh, you know, we only now we only really hear about the bigger ones, but it's amazing the rate that mass shootings are taking place. There's definitely one every day, on average. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, listener, I'm I'm gonna go out on the limb here a little bit. Uh, you know, we're 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 talking some pretty interesting stuff here. Um, I'm going to go out on the limb a little bit because I'm a 20-year veteran, United States Air Force retired. I'm proficient in small arms, still am. My dad was a uh, drill instructor. He was a Green Beret, tough guy, even though I was very shy. I could handle my own. Even today, you know, I'm trained in the martial arts. I'm very proficient with weapons, but I don't own a gun. I don't feel I need one. Um, I find it kind of interesting. I, I'm for, I'm putting this on record right now, I'm for the right to bear arms. 
So I don't want to do NRA people coming on here with their comments, blah, 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 blah. However, why do you need 5, 10, 15 weapons to guard your home? If you're not a collector or trader or seller, why do you need 18, 20 guns and enough ammunition to blow up your whole neighborhood? And most people are not even proficient on three quarters of them. It's just bragging rights for them. Why do you need all that? If I have a, even after that, you can increase your likelihood of injuring yourself. And that's exactly what I was about to say. House. Yeah. If someone breaks into your home in the middle of the night, okay? Now, I thought I, I, that person to me is dangerous. Most people have alarms on their house, they have dogs. You're breaking into someone's house in the middle of the night when you know their home. To me, that's a dangerous person. We're not talking about the David Niven cat burglar type that tiptoe in, you know, goes under the, the rate, the electronic eye beams like in the movie and steals a little thing and tiptoe out. Nobody gets hurt and he's eating a cheese sandwich in a cafe two blocks away in a tuxedo. We're not talking about that type of person. We're talking about a person that knows people are home, don't care. And if somebody gets their head busted while he's in there, because if you break into someone's home in the middle of the night, you're ex you you can you're expecting a com uh, some sort of confrontation. You're not going in there stupidly on your. So I get that the right to want to defend your family. Every American should have that right. I think our police department overall is doing a great job. I have lots of friends who are police officers, family. I have people who are in the military who are special forces that are friends. I get that. I get all that. I really do. Okay. But if you got a semi-automatic weapon to defend your home against a burglar in the middle of the night, you run the risk, like brother Rob just said, of hitting that burglar. Yes. But also going through the wall and hitting one of your family members. Is it really worth all that? Do you need an AR 15 to defend your home? I personally feel if you can't do it with the nine, you can't do it at all. I'm sorry. What you could do with an AR, I could do with a nine mil. And I could go out in the range and put anybody to the Pepsi challenge. All right. So that's that. But back to Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a hideous, ugly creature at the time. He really was. To hate someone else enough to wish them dead. And we have racism. Racism has always been around since time began. Some of it is socially based. Some of it is economically based, geopolitical, who who knows? Who cares? But the origin of hatred is fear. If you can't, listener, those who are saying, oh, I know my race of people is better than everybody else's. If you can't love yourself enough, you'll never be able to respect and love others. Amen. Amen. If you're that concerned that your neighbor's doing better than you, or he looks better than you, or his skin color is different than yours, so you have a problem with that, a skin color, listener, is just a pigment. It really is. It's just a pigment. That's all it is. It's just a pigment. 
So people who are African-American have more pigment, pigmentation in their skin than non-African-Americans. So that makes you superior. Why? Because you can shout and talk and spit all this rhetoric? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's all about the love. Do you know that the human body is designed to love three times as easier as it is to hate? Hating someone is a learned condition. Most people who hate racial hatred learned it most of the time when they were young. And I, I'm not talking about that person who was sort of in the middle and somebody came along and jacked them and shot their family dead because they were trying to steal their car. And now they hate the, this race of people because of that. I'm not talking about that type of person because these things do happen. That's wrong too, listener. But I understand why you feel that way. I'm talking about those people who don't understand much of anything at all about other races, but still hate them just because they exist. And you want to feel you're superior for whatever reasons. So you make it your task, your job to go out and spread hate. That's kind of the perspective that Saul was coming from. Absolutely. He was 100% in, in, that, in that realm. 100% in that realm. Some of the people he was going after, the early Christians, I, I can't remember what, um, when, I, when I was doing some research on this, there was a particular group that most of the early Christians came from, and he went after most of them. So, I'm, you know, some of those may, may have been Jewish. Uh, most of them may not have been. Um, but it's kind of interesting because him being sort of, mixed himself <laughs> you, you'd have thought he'd have had, had more more passion but power the promise of power from satan is a very powerful tool to convince people to do ugly hateful things to other people it really is money and power i mean it says in the bible the love of money is the root of all evil that that is a huge Amen. grandiose statement the love of money is the root of all evil. And look at our society today. If you look at everything that's going on in the world, okay? World leaders. Most world leaders are wealthy people. And the funny part is, most of them weren't wealthy before they got into office. Most of them became extremely wealthy after they got into office, especially if they spent uh, an excessive amount of years uh, holding that position how much wealth okay now i'm talking to the wealthy man how much wealth do you need rich guy rich gal to feel good about yourself right i mean at what point is enough enough at what point is bragging at the good old club good old boys club doesn't make sense anymore you know i it's kind of interesting because i feel that we were going through uh, the recession back in the 90s, late 90s, and now we, last year we went through this pandemic. We're still in it. Um, 
rich people lost money. But if I'm worth $750 million and I lost $200 million, I'm still rich. <laughs> Very much. You know, I may not be in the top five anymore in, in my country club as far as wealth, but I'm still rich. How much is enough? Really? It doesn't make any sense to me. How much is enough? So yeah, sometimes it's never enough. Sometimes it's never enough. Now there's a difference between gaining wealth because you have love in your heart, the love of Jesus, not necessarily the love of the world, the love of Jesus in your heart, and you use that gift to help people. And because you do, God fills up your cup, and your cup runneth over. When I mean by runneth over, you can't achieve wealth. That's not the primary reason why God is blessing you, but the blessings will overflow into every facet of your life. One of the richest people that ever lived was, um, was it King Solomon or I can't remember one of the kings. One of the Bible kings was filthy rich. You, you remember it could have been him. I was going to say Solomon sounded familiar. Yeah, no, Solomon. no, it was the Pharaoh. No, it was the, wasn't it the Pharaoh from Egypt? The Pharaoh from Egypt was probably rich too, but I'm, I'm talking about a... Um, you think richer than King Solomon? I mean, not as rich as... Uh, you know what you know who I'm Solomon? thinking of? Solomon was one. He was very rich too. Abraham. Abraham was mm -hmm. quite wealthy too. Abraham. What was he? Abraham was... He was land rich? Or? He, he, all the above. You know, he, he had he had he had the whole package going. He sort of reminded me of um well here's a here's a here's one reference I love to talk about, and that's Oprah Winfrey. And I know a lot of people don't like Oprah, but Oprah when she first started, and I'm sure you can relate to this, brother Rob, because you're you're <laughs> you're you're this is um, I'm a billionaire. Because <laughs> you're a billionaire, yes, because <laughs> you're a billionaire. And uh, you on your own television station, <laughs> newspaper <you> <laughs> on your own newspaper, and um, you know when she started off, she was ostracized because she wanted to be a, uh, I think, a television reporter or something like that. And they told her, yeah, she she started out working as a news reporter. Yeah, they say you don't look good enough to be on TV. <laughs> you look too homely. <laughs> you don't look too good. So, and I get it. Uh, you know, I, I watch the news from time to time, and. I haven't seen an, an uncharismatic person yet on the news, whether they were young or old, no matter what their body type was, skin color, tone, race, whatever. They look, they're all good looking people. So I get it. You know, you, you want to have people uh, tune into your um, station. So you want to have people who are charismatic giving you the evening news, right? But Oprah had, didn't have that going for her at the time. And she worked her butt off to get every dime. She never held a grudge against any of those people who were uh, against her. And look at what she has today. She has her own network. <laughs> there ain't too many African-Americans who can boast having their own network. And she did it in the most unique way. When she had her talk show, and I used to watch it from time to time. When she had her talk show, one of the things Oprah did very well that I loved 
She talked real issues and she let her emotions fly. If it was a sad story, Oprah would sit there and cry right along with her guests. They're handing each other Kleenexes. They're hugging each other and crying on each other's shoulders. Those were real emotions. She was a real person. It wasn't just about getting the news out and getting the ratings and all that stuff. She wanted to help people tell their stories. She wanted to help them heal. Amen. And God saw Amen. that and he made her cup runneth over. So now today she owns her own network. She may not ever keep it. I don't know. But today she owns her own network and she's a billionaire. She's one of the richest black women in America. So in the land of opportunity. Uh, what's that? I think the richest black woman in America. Yeah, she's even richer than you, brother Rob. I'm not right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing, brother Rob. What 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 do you do for a living again? Tell tell. tell. I work as a as a news editor. Yeah, and definitely not making a billion dollars. I'm a penny. I'm a, I'm a penny. I'm a penny. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love hearing him uh, speak and the way he prefers things. He just has such a silky smooth voice. I love to listen to uh, brother Rob, and he always says, "What you know? One of those people who says and does the right thing all the time." He's a great witness for God. I, I love him. So America is the land of dreams and opportunity. And certain people have taken the opportunity. You know, I call it the, the 10, 80, 10 rule, which you can apply to most workplaces. You can apply to most households, um, families, but you can also apply it to the business world where you got the 10% at the top who's the upper crust. You got the 80% in the middle who are hardworking people. And then you got the 10% at the bottom who really don't want to do anything with their life. They, they're more or less like the scourge of society who um, just take, 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 take all the time. But when you really look at most of the upper crust, they take, 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 take all the time too. They just do it legally. See, when right. you can call your friend in Congress or a senator and say, look, I own, you know, I own company X over here and this law has hurt me over here. You know, why don't you help me out a little bit here? You know, and I throw a little campaign money at you. And I know there's rich people right now listening to this is going, oh, I never did anything like that. And you probably didn't. But God wanted me to say what I'm saying right now because some of you have. And you know that you're wrong. You know that you're wrong. Okay? It doesn't matter if you got your rich, wealthy friend in the Senate of Congress to come up with some law or change the law or whatever or put some little amendment to it so that you could be the benefactor of that you're still wrong and i'm letting you know now god has noticed he's writing everything down his angels and if you are not right with him you're going to have to pay for that one day we live in a world that has so much wealth it just hurts my heart and it hurts my soul to know that children there are children on this planet who go to bed every night hungry. I looked at the stats a long time ago. I don't want to see them again because it's too hurtful. But 
there's a large percentage of children in third world countries on average only eat, I would say half a meal a day on average. Half a meal, that's their only meal for the whole day. Half of what you would eat for a meal. So you go to Burger King, you get yourself a, a Whopper with cheese, some fries. Do they, do they have apple pie at uh, uh, Burger King, Brother Rob? Um, not last I checked, no. <laughs> and you get to, you know, <clears throat> on the way home, <laughs> yeah, you, you stop by one of the grocery stores and you get yourself a pie, a little apple pie, and you bake it in the oven, have yourself a cup of joe or a glass of wine with, with your lunch, and you have a good time. You know what they get for the whole day? Your fries. That's it. Not a large fry, small fry. That's it. They may get a handful of rice and water, and water with a little broth to it. That's their whole meal for the day. And that's all they're going to get. Once a now, week, do you, they feel that, a... do you feel that Saul's experience on the wealthy informed how he was once he converted? Well, what he did do is... Mm -hmm. He, he was born into an influential home, and that's how he was able to uh, get into certain social groups to where mm -hmm. he, you know, he could learn certain things that the average person couldn't learn. He was a quick learner. He was very, very intelligent. And when he became the Apostle Paul, at mm -hmm. some point, he went against everything that the Romans was trying to do and, st and stood for. And he himself wind up being captured. He was held captive for, I think, two to three years. And during that mm -hmm. time period, wrote on death row, basically, wrote some of the most mm -hmm. prolific letters and books of the Bible that <laughs> any of them had ever written. What, what an amazing turn of events. And it just goes to show... Mm -hmm. I was going to say, do you feel like, you know, in reading those letters, do you feel he is speaking to his peers? You know, he's speaking to those wealthy people and those people in the inner circles that he knew or, you know, people who shared the status of the people that he knew in the inner circles before he converted. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of the letters he wrote was, was to the, the seven churches. He wrote a lot of letters to the churches and he wasn't writing them to you know, the choir boy, uh, he was writing to the heads of those churches and he was using his influence of who he was at the time to show them or give them the information that God wanted them to have. So he was kept, you know, many are uh, chosen. What, 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 how, how's, what's the saying goes? Isn't there fewer chosen? Many are, actually, I don't know. The many, I know it's fewer Many are selected, few are chosen, right? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and the apostle Paul was one of those few. He was a strong man of God, and God obviously saw some characteristics in him. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Amen. Matthew, Matthew 22nd chapter. <laughs> ah, thank you, sir. Thank you. And this is right out of the Bible, folks. I know it's, it's, it's like a coin phrase that um, a lot of people toss around. Yeah, but... I like to call to the military. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we 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 we're the same way too, but um different for a different mission in life. But um I, I find it compelling that God saw something in him that God said, This this is my guy. This is my guy. And listener, I'm letting you know now, every person on this planet, because we were all, whether you want to believe it or not, I like what Pastor Dean Braxton says, you don't have to believe a word of what I'm saying right now. I'm quoting Dean right now. You'll find out for yourself when you get to the other side. We were all created in God's image. We all have God-given talents and gifts. Whether you believe that or not, whether you believe in God or not, his Bible, his son, any of those things, you were, your life doesn't belong to you. You were bought with the price. And that price was paid for on Calvary by God's son, Jesus Christ, when he took on your sin at Calvary, when he shed his blood, he took on your death, your physical death. So God has a way of reaching out to all of us. Doesn't matter who you are. Amen. I don't want to be struck down and blinded for Amen. three days to, to find God. If he nudges me out of my sleep or I trip over a rock or I'll, I'll take one of those. <laughs> I got my, hey, I don't have my blinders on. Paul was blind to Jesus. He was blind to the spirit of God. So God said, I'll fix you. I'm going to physically blind you to let you know how blind you really are. When you don't have your eyes anymore, what are you going to do? And that totally changed him. But do you know what? He had his vision the whole time he was imprisoned. And what's worse, listener, being free and blind? or being imprisoned to die, let's say he had no faith, simply what's worse? Obviously, in my opinion, being blinded. Being blinded, because if you, if you were just in prison for a day or two or a year or two, and you had your eyesight, you would take that in a heartbeat. That's the point I'm trying to make. He was sitting in jail. His story was different, listener. He was sitting in jail waiting for his execution. A ah, little bit different. I'll take the blindness. <laughs> I'll take the blindness for three days. <laughs> but, <clears throat> excuse me. But he, he held his ground because that's what people do who, who are new. When you, when you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creature. Your whole, when I say new creature, your whole DNA changes. So how would you describe Paul when he became, you know, a new creature? Well, when you become a new creature, your God DNA that's inside of you, we all have it because we were created in God's image. When it says we're created in God's image, it's all the way down to our DNA. So, but if you're not serving him, there's certain attributes in your DNA that doesn't get awakened or released or turned on. When you give your life to God, when you give your life to Jesus, and he's inside of you, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, which is God himself, 
your God DNA is activated by the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you become a superman without the cape, but you're a super person. That doesn't mean you can go throw cars around and things like that, but it also states in the Bible, a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. So if you needed to lift a car in the name of Jesus to help your brother who's being crushed, God will give you the strength to do that. I've heard stories of little kids lifting the car off their father because, you know, he was being crushed to death by the car. I've read stories. I've read stories of people having their cancers being cured and doctors didn't know why or how. If you want to hear about a very interesting story, you need to go onto YouTube and look up Dean Braxton. He is a holy man. He's a preacher, prophet, an amazing story. You will not be disappointed, but this is a guy, and I'm not going to steal his thunder, who was clinically dead for an hour and 45 minutes. He was dead. And I, I met Dean Braxton at a church here in New York a couple years ago. I didn't see no physical ailments in this gentleman at all. If your brain goes without oxygen for about six to eight minutes, you're going to have some problems. If you don't get any blood circulation into your limbs in about 15 to 20 minutes, you're going to have some major problems. They're going to have to start lopping off digits when you get back. This guy walked up on stage and gave one of the most beautiful discussions I have ever heard about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm saying this to tell you, listener, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, more than likely, it is probably not worse than what happened to Dean Braxton because he had, I think he said he said 26 systems in his body that shut, 26 different functions in his body that shut down because he has septicemia. And if you ever go septic, you're in big trouble. Most people who go septic usually don't make it. That's poisoning in your bloodstream by some sort of bacteria. You usually don't make it. You usually, most people who go septic usually don't make it. And he didn't. He died. He was physically dead for an, an hour and 45 minutes. He said two hours. His medical doctor in his chart put an hour and 45 minutes. That's semantics because it was more than six to eight minutes. And it wasn't like they had him on life support for that hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. They pulled the plug. He had the top ICU doctor in Seattle, Washington, working on him at the time. That doctor pulled the plug after, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes and declared him deceased, dead. And his body was just there while they were waiting to transport him downstairs. So God healed his body and his mind 100%. And you know what, listener? He can heal you too. He could take away your pain. But you have to stop being a Saul. You have to get out of God's way and let God heal your heart. You have to take the first step. God is always there knocking. He was knocking at Saul's door the whole time. Saul just did, couldn't hear him because he had his blinders on. So God removed his blinders and blinded him at the same time. Do you have your blinders on, listener? Are you being called? If you were, would you know it? 
Has someone walked up to you recently and told you something about God? Have you woken up out of your sleep because you had a bad dream and a dream revealed something that God was trying to show you? Has your neighbor been talking to you about the Lord? Have you just had a overall feeling that life is just not going too well and you've tried everything you possibly could and it's not working? Aren't you tired of being sad? Aren't you tired of being depressed? Aren't you tired of drinking all the time, doing drugs? Really, listener, if any of you feel that way, you know what I always tell people? 30-day plan. Give God 30 days of your life. 30 days where you just get on your knees every day and you say, Lord, I'm a sinful creature. I can't do this without you. I want you to help me. Please, Lord, I need you. If you do that for 30 days straight, your whole life, your whole life is going to change in one week. One week. Give God one week. One week. Give him one week. Saul did it in, in three days, and he was the worst of the worst. Give God one week. Because I know, I know what some of you listeners are saying, well, I'm nothing like Saul. You know, this guy was insane, and he was doing all this crazy stuff, and, you know, I'm nothing like him. Because we always have that discussion, don't we, Brother Rob, about good. Everybody feels yeah. because they go to work every day, and they clock in on time, and they eat their little cheese sandwich on their lunch break, and they drive home without running people off the road, and out there robbing banks and shooting people, mass shootings and acting all crazy, that they're good people. But let me tell you something, listener. Your definition of God is 100% different than God's definition of good. 100%. If, if you... If you ever told one lie in your lifetime, and I'm talking about the one of little white lies too. If you ever told any lies in your lifetime, you're not good. You're not. You're just not good. And I'm going to stay away from the babies right now because they can't talk. But you're born into sin. But that's another discussion. But if you told one little white lie, you're not good. You're not. You're rotten. You may look cute. You may sound cute. You may sound cool. You're not. You're not. So you want to add some, some more good sound words to the discussion, Brother Rob? Well, you know, I'm more interested in, you know, with Saul slash Paul now. You know, what do you think? Once he transformed, do you think there's things that we as Christians can take from his actions that we could also do? I mean, should we be writing letters to people or, you know, do, should we be spreading the word, you know, in our modern day, the same way he was spreading the word? You know, how do you view Paul in terms of how he could translate into today's world? Okay. And that's a beautiful, very valid, good question. Because if you remember, Saul of Tarsus, who was now Paul, was imprisoned on death row, waiting for his death. And I'm sure he was somewhat comfortable while he was in there. Why? Because he was a, he was a saint. He believed in the Lord that God. He loved Jesus. He loved being a Christian. So even though he was locked up, even though he knew he was going to die, he still did God's work. 
And his former no excuse. Oh, it's no excuse. His his former communication was writing. He didn't have no TV. He didn't have no stereo. All those things that prisoners have today to make them somewhat comfortable. He didn't have any of that. He had a pen and a paper. He had uh, candles. They fed him. Uh, He had somehow relieved himself somehow. I'm sure they didn't have no Kohler's toilets back then. And that was it. He had visitors from time to time. Most of them were um, uh, apostles and saints and, and preachers of the time uh, he, to, keep, to keep him, you know, pumped up. But he, he worked the plan of God. He got up every day. He prayed. He fed his spirit. You got to feed the spirit of God inside of you. You do that through admission of what you are what he brought you out of, praise and worship, praise and worship, prayer, 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 talk to the Lord. He got up every day and he didn't have all these distractions, amen. He didn't have a TV and all these other things. He, he didn't have all these distractions that we have today, whether you be physically in prison or in prison in your mind, because you don't have to be physically prison to be a prisoner. You are a prisoner to your own sinful, bad habits. If you know you're supposed to be reading your word, and I'm talking to believers now, if you know you're supposed to be praying, if you know you're supposed to be out witnessing the people, but you rather hang out, you rather go chase skirts, you rather just, you know, watch all these, this crap on TV all the time, you're not, you're not doing, you're not working the plan. You're not being an apostle Paul. You're really not. You really aren't. You are in a mental prison. And I had uh, one highly respected woman of God, and she knows who she is if she ever is listening to this, that, that told me that, you know, the real war is not so much the evil in this world. It's what's going on in your, in your own head. That's, that's where the true evil really resides. And you've seen that little depiction of the little angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. That's really the true you. You have both inside of you circulating, and one is trying to take charge over the other. But submit to the will of God. You will not be disappointed. He has never made a mistake in anyone's life that has ever put all their faith in him. But you have to believe, like the Apostle Paul, you have to have faith. He knew he had no illusions going to make it out of their life. He didn't care. For him to do, wrote all those letters to all those churches, basically tell them the good news, explaining to them how to make corrections and some of the things they were doing wrong, wrote some of the most prolific books in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, he had to 100% understand the fact that he was not going to make it out of their life, and he didn't care. He didn't care. I don't think Paul was one of those type of guys who every night when he went to bed, he was whimpering and crying because he couldn't get out of there and be a free man. The yeah, I way- think he was a tough guy. And it sounds like he translated or took that toughness in his new life. Amen. He was more free than anybody that's living in some mansion with hundreds of millions of dollars who don't love the Lord, 
who feel that they can do whatever they want with their money, wherever they want with their life, because you know what? I'm rich. How many times do we see that on TV or in Hollywood or blah, 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 where this small elect group of wealthy people flaunt their wealth and their attitude and their craziness and look what look what I got, look what I can do. And, da, da, da. and I, I've heard so many stories about people who are actors who don't want to act with certain actors and actresses because they're just rude and condescending and think that they're God's gift to the world. When you are God's gift to the world, but you're not living for the Lord. So you're not God's gift to the world. Amen. Amen. So on a final note, you know, what do you think the big takeaway with Saul slash Paul is? You know, do you think it's in anybody can be a Christian or do you think it's more in his example as a Christian and how he lived his life once he became one? Well, if you talk to any uh, Bible believer, pastor that has ever preached about um, the Apostle Paul, 90% is what he did after he became the Apostle Paul, even though he lived his whole life up to that point being Saul. He was only Apostle Paul for the, a very short time of his life, but did more in that short time period than most people do in 80 years of living. Amen. Amen. And with that said, you know, <clears throat> my takeaway as a person still learning about Paul, class Paul, um, I think it's important to, you know, look at him and realize that, you know, there's so many lessons with his life and that we all need to look at that, every aspect of his life and see where we can be inspired to change our lives in different ways. You know, we don't have to have the extreme examples <clears throat> of having to suffer and hit rock bottom before a transformation is made. You know, it's like Brother Fred said, you know, maybe ease up on what influences you. You know, take the take the light, stubbing the toe versus having it cut off. You know. So <laughs> good reference. Good reference. Um, thank you, Brother Fred, for that very enlightening uh podcast on uh Saul slash Paul. Um I don't think anybody could have done it better but then this time frame. And you know I just want to say to our listeners, you know, please be inspired to seek your own experience of reading more about Paul slash Saul in the Bible and just look at all the, the breadth of the material that he provided in his letters and the impact those letters had on the churches that he spoke to. So uh, with that, uh, Brother Fred, you ready for uh, me to lead us out in prayer? Amen. All right. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful podcast today and the um, great lesson that we got from Brother Fred and Saul slash Paul. Uh, he's always, Saul is always an inspiring figure, and I hope that listeners today saw something in this lesson that they could take in their own lives and become their own examples of what Paul and Saul was used as through God. So in your name we pray and we ask, we ask you to bless the listener and to bless us and to continue to bless everyone in their journey towards Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And brother, brother Fred, if you can just tell us where we can access this podcast and what's the best way to comment if uh, people want to 
uh, share in the discussion that we've uh, talked about today. Yes, I usually po uh, post these podcasts on Podbean. And if you go into Podbean and put in DBSG, Discipleship Bible Study Group, you'll find uh, some of our pod all our podcasts on there. And feel free to leave a comment or message or a thought or how it influenced your life, things we can do better, what should we have said. I mean, all of the above. This, this is God's work, not ours, not mine, not Brother Rob. This is God's work. And if, if, if one person gets saved out of this whole experience and all these podcasts we put out, then we've done our job. So amen and amen. And, and if they're on social media, what social media can they access to uh, leave comments and to hear this podcast if they're not going directly to Podbean? Right. And I usually like to put them out on YouTube. Uh, I'll be putting them out on YouTube as well and other venues. So we'll, we'll be getting more podcasts out there and facebook, and facebook as facebook as well facebook oh, i forgot about facebook yes i usually put them out on facebook a link that could take you straight to um to to the pod being a dbs but feel free to leave any message good or bad because if it's good hallelujah and if it's bad i'm going to pray for you amen amen so and we look forward to the comments that uh that are left there because good or bad they're always enlightening to us in terms of how the podcast is being received and some, what are some of the things we should be discussing. So with that said, listener, thank you very much for listening to our podcast and we hope you have a blessed week uh, and we look forward to having you listen to our next podcast. God have bless you. Night. Good night.